Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Recorded live. Peace and love, and thank you all for chiming in to Domestic Balance Weird Mini Tags Organization talk show, the Brokenness to Boldness talk show. Uh, tonight with us, um, we have two very special guests that are going to be with us tonight um, Dana Watson and Ashley Strange is going to be with us tonight. We're going to hear from our sisters in just a moment. I am Queen of Fee, the founder of Domestic Balance with Mini Tax Organization. And of course, um, I am a victim of domestic balance as well as an abuser um, of domestic balance. And that says that um, I have been the one with the black eyes and I have been the one to give the black eyes. Um, and so. We have a number of things that we do for the organization, Domestic Balance with Mini Tags. Um, and one of the things that we do is bring education to the Mini Tags of Domestic Balance. And those tags, of course, we like to start with verbal, and then there's emotional, there's sexual, there's physical, and there's also financial abuse. These are most common to a domestic balance relationship. Of course, one could be happening more than the other. Maybe one is not happening at all. But a lot of times, all of the tags could be happening within domestic balance relationships. Um, now, those relationships are not only privy to just a man and a woman. You know, those, our relationships are looking very different now. You have women and women relationships. You have men and men relationships. Um, you also have the parent-child relationship, you know, sisters, uh, sibling relationships, that these tags show up in a lot of these relationships. Uh, you have verbal abuse, where verbal abuse can happen between grandma and grandpa. Uh, verbal abuse can happen between a supervisor and an employee. Verbal abuse can happen with husband and wife. Verbal abuse can happen with uh, the male, the same-sex relationship. So we got to really start seeing these tags for what they really are and the number of places that they can show up. And so domestic violence wears many tags, educate on the many tags of domestic violence, and the reason why is because I don't think a lot of times victims and abusers identify with the severity of the tag. Um, America talks a lot about physical abuse, and that's because murder is the highest crime. Physical abuse can lead to murder. So the law is going to step in on that. But often we get victims that are verbally abused, you know, and, and what they're going to call the police is that, you know, I'm being verbally abused. And the police, they'll come out and quiet it down for a while, but they're looking to make a lockup. They're saying, call us when somebody hit somebody. You know, call us when the marks are visible, that kind of thing. They're not going to keep coming out for verbal abuse and emotional abuse. 
you know, sexual abuse, if you wait too long, it's hard to prove. Financial abuse, when you're in somebody's relationship, officers, legal system saying, how, how is that financial abuse and you was married to this person when you stayed with this person seven, eight months? How did they financially abuse you if it wasn't identity theft? You know, so it becomes, a lot of them, it becomes hard to prove. You know, so that's why I like to tell victims to try to, of course, keep your evidence um, secluded from the from the abuser because you don't want to give the abuser, which is queen, you don't want to give me no inkling that you're trying to lead a relationship because I'll hunt you down. You see, the abuser will hunt the victim down because a lot of times the abuser knows where your mother lives at, your father lives at, your job at. The abuser knows your motive. A lot of times it's a victim. So you don't want to give the give the abuser any income that you're planning on leaving a relationship. You know, you want everything that you do, you want to keep it in secret from the abuser. You want everything to appear the same to the abuser so that the abuser does not begin to see what you're doing. Because the abuser will add GPS to your car, will add GPS to your phone. You know, we'll come on your job and stand out there and wait till you get off. You know, we do all kinds of things to track that victim down and get them back in line with the plan. And the plan is for the victim to stay isolated, okay, which is one of the warning signs of an abusive personality. We must isolate the victim. If we don't isolate the victim, we're not doing our job as abusers. The abuser is not doing his, his or her job if if he or she is not isolating the victim, okay? That's one of the top things that we got to do. The other, top, the other top warning sign is intimidation. We have to intimidate the victim to get them to back up in that corner and do what we want them to do, you see? So, and, you know, again, this, can, this, this behavior, these warning signs and these tags, that's why you got to give a queen. <laughs> if you want some, some real education, on domestic violence and mentality that way, you need to give a queen and, and tap into everything that I'm doing. Tap into all of the, um, a lot of things that I do are anonymous calls, and I do them because victims can maybe sneak out and make a call. They can, they can maybe sneak out and make that call, you know. Abusers can sneak off and make a call because they can't make a call in front of the victim either. Victim can't make a call in front of the abuser, and the abuser can't make a call in front of the victim. It's a conflict of interest. Okay? So we have to, as abusers, we have to intimidate the victim so that way we maintain the control over the victim. So that way we, we continue to get that victim to do what we need them to do. And like I always tell people, um, it's not hard for the abuser to get another victim. It's not hard for us to get another victim because we know how to talk. You know, we know how we know how to pinpoint, you know, what it is that we need to tap into concerning that victim. You know, so a lot of times a person could be coming to the table and just being open, you know, trying to be nice and make conversations. But it's some of those things that you say that you could be potentially talking to an abuser, okay? And the abuser would take what you're saying and use it against you to make you a victim. 
All right, so how does that look, Queen? All right, it looks like this. So I'm talking to a guy, and I'm saying, okay, well, where you from? You know, what you what you do for a living? You know, how's your family like? So if that victim starts talking a certain kind of way, oh, I've been out of work, or um, my mom, you know, my mom abandoned me. I haven't seen her in years. I, I never knew my father. So to me, as the abuser, that's bait. So that's saying, wow, okay, well, you need some help. You know, you never had a mother, you never had a father. Wow, you need somebody to tell you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, all those things. That's bait for the abuse. So we got to be very careful about what we're telling somebody else because they can take it and use it against us. The abuse is very clever, very manipulative, and knows how to pinpoint uh, the insecurities or the low self-esteem in that victim. That's something that, as abusers, we prey on that. Okay, so just I wanted to, you know, make sure I give y'all some tidbits of, of uh, ways to uh, begin to identify with the abuser side. We don't, America doesn't want to talk about the abuser side. America doesn't want to educate on the abuser side. But let me tell you right now, you could take this all the way to your grave, which we are not going to end domestic violence until we start talking about the abuser side. How in the world are we going to end domestic violence with only educating victims? It's, it's impossible. It's been impossible the last umpteen years. It hasn't worked because abusers keep getting victims. And let me tell you, let me tell you again, Queen was an abuser, okay? And I, can, I, I continue to get victims. See? And whatever education, a lot of times that we give in the victim, I don't know how good that's worked because victims still keep getting caught up in relationships that are abusive. You know, we got some victims that say, oh, well, I was in a physical abusive relationship, but this guy or this woman, they not physical, but they do, you know, yell and get a little feisty and aggressive about their mouth sometimes. Well, now you're still in an abusive relationship. If you feel an emotional damage from that, you're in an abusive relationship. You know, a lot of times emotional damage can also be a tag, a very fluent tag in these relationships where your abuser just isolates you, shuts you out, and have you going crazy and questioning, questioning yourself, questioning the relationship, you you saying to yourself, it's not crazy. See, that's what the abuser wants you to do so we can maintain control. So just be mindful that we're not going to end domestic violence until we start educating abusers, until we start educating abusers and victims in the same classroom. I like to educate, a victim. I like to educate victims and abusers on the same, in the same classroom. In the same classroom. Because there's a lot of research that proves that abusers were victims. Now, if we all living in a household where, as young people, as children and stuff, we live in a household where abuse is taking place, domestic violence is happening, you're not a witness. You are a victim of domestic violence as a child. 
you are a victim of the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse that's going on around, and maybe some physical abuse, and it could be some sexual abuse. As a child, you are a victim. You're not a witness. You're a victim of domestic violence. All right, so what happens later on in life? What happens later on in life is that some of those children may say, this will never happen to me. And some of the children go on and, and it never happens to them. Some of the children end up picking up and becoming a victim. Some of the children end up picking up and becoming abusers. Okay? Due to the household that a lot of research points to learn behavior. All right? So some children learn, pick up the more aggressive side. And some children pick up maybe the more passive side. You know? Um, and with me being a victim and an abuser, I learned, you know, some things from my own household. And I became a victim. It started out where I was a victim and getting beat on in these different relationships and stuff. And then some things, something tragic happened with my best friend. She was shot and killed. And it was at that moment that I made a conscious decision that I'm going to abuse men. I'm going to abuse them any which way I can. And then I got so good at it. See, as abusers, we get so good at it. It's customary. We don't get in relationships unless we know we can abuse the person. Why am I getting in a relationship with somebody that I know I can't abuse? It's pointless for me as an abuser because I can't exercise my control. So you just keep that at the forefront of your mind as we move through the story. And now you know about domestic violence and the many tags that it wears. All right. Uh, you can friend request me at Q U E E N A S I, Facebook, all one word. You can friend request me there. And, you know, chime in with uh, Domestic Violence Business Case Organization and Queen of Fee. We have our sister circle coming up on Thursday. I'm really excited about getting the sisters in the circle again. We do this call, anonymous call, because once again, victims can maybe sneak out and dial in. Um, a lot of abusers don't allow their victims to go anywhere, you know, so um, maybe they can sneak out and, you know, take a call or sneak to the bathroom or maybe the abuser is at work and the victim could call in, okay? So that's why we do our sister circle anonymous uh, on the call. Now, anonymous, I don't know who's on the line unless you tell me. Okay, just like tonight, I don't know who's here unless you tell me. I do know that our guest is here tonight, and we're going to be talking to our sisters tonight about their brokenness to boldness. Now, the brokenness to boldness story is another facet to ending domestic violence, okay? We need to survive a story in order to end domestic violence. How are we going to end domestic violence if our survivors are not stepping up and telling their story? We need our survivors to speak out because... It's a whole lot of children that have your same story that need to hear your story. It's a whole lot of adults that have your same story that need to hear that story. And it's women, men, and teens, and children that have been, you know, victims of domestic violence and the many tags that it weighs. So the brokenness, the boldness portion of it is saying to current victims and current abusers, look, you, it's abuse flat out, and you can make it out. So that's what Dana is going to say. She's going to talk on her story tonight. That's what she's going to be saying with her brokenness and boldness 
And that's what actually is going to be saying. You can make it out. You know, the struggle may be rough, but you can make it out. And that's why I love, love, love you guys. I love the Brokenness and Bowling Talk Show. Um, I love, you know, my guests coming on and willing to share because I know it's not an easy thing to do to share. But, you know, we need your stories. Domestic Violence Bears Mini Take Organization, we need your stories. You know, we, we need you to get out and take the forefront for our survivors. And I know some survivors have never told their story before, and that's, again, why we're here, because we want to be, you know, be that, be that comfort where first-time survivors can come and share their story with us and know that we're going to be so caring and so compassionate towards their story and helping their voice be heard. For some of our victims, it's a relief. You know, our, our survivors and our abusers, it's a relief. They finally get to share all of that junk, you know, that was keeping them in bondage and keeping them trapped. They finally get to share what it was like, you know, and to have a compassionate audience like we do here on the Brokenness and Bonus talk show, I mean, it just makes it all the more better for first-time survivors and survivors overall that are sharing with us. And that's, what that's again, what Dana is going to do. So we're going to jump right ahead and get into Dana's story here tonight, and she, she reached out to me somewhere, somehow, <laughs> and I guess she'll tap into that tonight, but I'm so blessed that she reached out to me and wanted to share her story. Dana Watson, she is a self-published author of Because He Loves Me. She used this novel as a platform to share her story of domestic violence. As a young single mother, Dana fell in love with someone she considered to be the man of her dreams. After becoming engaged to this man and planning for a big wedding, her fiancé became physically abusive. And he probably wore some of the other tags that she'll share with us tonight. Dana was ashamed and hid the abuse from her family. She resides in Norfolk, Virginia with her two children, Dana received her break her breakthrough when she finally realized that God was her true love. Now we're gonna tap into her story a little bit more and let me get Dana on with us tonight. Peace and love, Dana, can you hear me? Yes, I am here. Peace and love, thank you for chiming in, sis. Thank you for having me today. Oh, most definitely, girlfriend. Now, tell us how did you reach me? Because I forgot. Do you remember? <laughs> um, yes, I was able to um, listen to someone else tell her brokenness to bonus story, okay. and I was um, very blessed by it. And I wanted to reach out to you to be able to tell my story as well. Okay, great. Okay, so jump right into it then. Tell us about this guy you decided that was the love of your life? You know, I am a PK. Um, Most people know that to be a preacher's kid. So I was the good girl who was attracted to the bad boy image, Um, you know, from a young age, probably 15 years old. You know, I, I was into those, you know, those thoughts, quote, unquote, and, you know, I became pregnant at the age of 20 with my first child. 
Um, but I thank God for my child because she's not a mistake, and I thank her, you know, God, because through her, I feel like, you know, it allowed me to settle down and change my my look on relationships, and I knew that at that time it was time for me to settle down. So at the age of 21, I met this guy who I felt was very, you know, handsome. He was intelligent. He was, you know, a God-fearing man, as I thought, um, and he treated my daughter as his own child. So he was everything that a woman would want in a man. Um, so we he, go ahead. Um, we got engaged, mm-hmm. and um, probably a couple of months into our engagement, we decided that we were going to push the the wedding back because he was a senior in college. Um, he wasn't working full time, and he really wanted to be the man of the house. He wanted to take care of the family, so he felt like he couldn't provide for us the way that he wanted to. So we felt like we should push the the wedding back. Um, so that led me into, I got my own place, and at that time, I thought, you know, I'm in a good relationship, so, you know, he was at my house a lot of the time, and being a preacher's kid, I knew, and I know, that it was wrong to, um, shock up with a man, but of course, you know, love, we want to say love conquers all, love makes you blind, so, um, slowly, he was moving items into my home, and we we started living together without me officially saying you can move in. So um, it just went from there. Um, I began to see him change. He became aggressive towards me. It started with something very small. We had an argument about going to church um, because I knew that I needed a man that would be in church, a man who loved the Lord, because as a preacher's kid, that's what I felt that it was supposed to be, a woman and a man attending church together. That would make a happy home. And, you know, I was very young at that time. So, uh, I, you know, what I know now that you can't force somebody to go to church, you can't force someone to change, I didn't understand that at the age of um, 21. So, you know, we argued over that, and he threw my clothes in the bathtub. Um, of course, it was just clothes. The clothes got wet. So it was very minor to me, and I, you know, I felt like it was something childish to do, and I was, you know, I, I excused that behavior because to me it was something small, but it began to escalate from him throwing my clothes in the bathtub to him pushing me to the wall, and then the the most explosive episode that I remember was when we got into a huge argument. Uh, it was we were at the house one night. It was late. Uh, probably around midnight, and he wanted to take one of his friends home. He had been drinking, and that was always an issue for me. I did not want to be in a relationship with someone who drank alcohol, so we would argue about him drinking alcohol, and he became upset. So he wanted to leave, but he didn't have a car. And I would always let him use my car, so he, you know, argued with me over my, my car keys, and I said, no, you've been drinking. You're not taking my car keys. And... He was very, very aggressive, and I remember that I ran into my daughter's bedroom because I felt like there was safety in her room because my daughter loved this man so much because she, he treated her as his own. And in my mind, I'm thinking he's not going to do something to me with my daughter, who, he, who she also called him dad, our child, laying in the bed asleep. She was only one years old. She was asleep because it was so late at night. And I thought if he'd seen her, maybe it would click in his head 
that he was becoming like an animal, and it, that didn't work. And he put his hands around my throat, and he asked me repeatedly, what well, told me repeatedly, give me the keys. And I said no about three times, and each time I said no, the grips got tighter and tighter and tighter, and I could not breathe where I finally released the keys out of my hands. And he took the keys, and he ran, you know, outside like a thief in the night. And at that point, I said I wasn't going to take anymore. At least that's what I was thinking. I called the police. That was my first time ever calling the police on him uh, after him him becoming um, aggressive towards me. And the police came to my house. And they asked me, was he drinking? Was he intoxicated? And I said, yes, yes, he, he was drunk, thinking that meant something, but it meant nothing to the police. They said, oh, well, he'll sober up, and when he comes back tomorrow, you'll get over it. Y'all be back together. And that was it. The police didn't ask for a description. They didn't ask for his name. They didn't ask for his information. They just said, it will be okay tomorrow when he sobers, um, sobers up. And I began to believe that myself, thinking, okay, well, maybe this is a normal thing. Maybe because he's drunk, this is the reason why he's acting this way. And I began to blame myself for him becoming aggressive towards me. I began to say, well, maybe I should have just left him alone with his friend. What, what was the big issue? He just wanted to play the game. He wanted to take his friend home. Maybe he wasn't that drunk after all. And instead of me looking at my fiancé as having an issue, I looked at myself as having an issue. We, we spent some time apart, and he promised me that he would never put his hands on me again. So, of course, I let him back into my home, and we felt like everything was okay. Um, you know, going down a little bit closer to the wedding, probably about two weeks before the wedding date, we be, we got into another big argument. In this argument, we were arguing again over alcohol um, because he wanted to have an open bar. Um, I didn't drink alcohol, and at this point, he claimed that he quit drinking alcohol. So I didn't understand why are we having an open bar if neither one of us drink alcohol. But his parents, um, they were heavy drinkers. They loved to party, so it was about pleasing his parents. And as we argued, he just stopped talking at a certain point, and he threw his cell phone at my chest. And he threw the cell phone so hard at my chest that the phone is broken to pieces. And my daughter was standing in the kitchen at this point, and this was the very first time that my daughter had seen this man become physically aggressive towards me. And as I looked at my daughter's face, and I could see her tearing up because she, she had became afraid of what was going on, I, it was as if I blacked out, and for the first time, I fought back, and we were fighting in the kitchen. And I stopped, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this for the rest of my life. We're supposed to get married in two weeks, and here we are fighting. And he he was still aggressive towards me, so I just grabbed my child, I grabbed my car keys, and I went out of the house as fast as I could. And I was running for my life at that point because he was angry because I had just told him that the wedding was off. And as I grabbed, grabbed my child and went to the car, 
I seen her run because I was in I lived in her apartment at that time. It was a three story apartment, no elevator, just stairs and I seen him run out of the apartment as I was getting in my car and I sped off as fast as I could and it was it was as if I was watching a lifetime movie when this man came running out in the street and he stood in front of the car as if I wasn't going anywhere and I continued to drive and I hit him, hit him with my car and he fell on the ground. My uh, my side view mirror fell off, and I just drove as fast as I could to my mom's house. And as I read the, the doorbell, she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong, Dana? What happened? Because she seemed I had no shoes on my feet. And I told her that my fiancé and I had been fighting and that he had been hitting on me. And she said, well, Dana, it's... This the first time he's ever hit you, and because I was still ashamed and I was still embarrassed, I said yes. Here I was still lying about being in an abusive relationship because I was embarrassed that the man that I loved, the man that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, was putting his hands on me. And my mother knew deep inside that uh, there was more to the story, and, you know, that's my brokenness. Because after that, I was I was ashamed to call hundreds of people to let them know that this wedding was off. That I was no longer getting married, and I can remember the day of the wedding that the wedding was supposed to take place. My fiance's um, grandfather called, and he was like, "Congratulations on your big day!" And I was like, "No, we didn't get married. The wedding was called off." And I went into a deep depression. Mm-hmm. I was what you would call broken. Mm-hmm. I, I I developed low self esteem, and I I couldn't understand. I gave this man all my love. I felt like I did everything I needed to do. Why couldn't he just love me? Mm-hmm. Now, Dana, I gotta play devil's advocate a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. What in the world is the preacher's daughter doing in an abusive relationship? I know she's not shacking up with no man. Who supposed to be putting his hands on her? Dang, how could you go back and face, I mean, victims are scared, you know, and people say leave, 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 leave. People say all these mean things. How did you, did you go back to the same church? I mean, was your reputation, was that an issue for you? Were you able to still stand and present yourself? My, my family, my church family received me with open arms. And they embraced me. Amen. I needed I needed that. They didn't look at me as if it was my fault. They wished I would have spoke up sooner, like you said. Why did you say, you know, why did you say so long? But you know, I kept so much information to myself because I was embarrassed. I am a preacher's kid and but the most thing I was shameful about was the fact that I was shocking up. You know, so I felt like maybe this was God's punishment for me for living with living with a man that I knew I shouldn't have been living with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like no one would understand, and and maybe they thought, well, that's what you get because you were disobedient to God. Right. But that's that's not how God is. God is a God of grace and mercy, mm-hmm. and He would never put more on us than we can bear. So, you Let know, me ask you that was my mind frame at that time. I got another question for you. Um, yeah. Now, you said that here I am still lying about the abuse that happened to me. 
Dana, help us out because right in that moment, it's a lot of victims that still lie. How do we yeah. tell the truth? How do we tell the truth as victims? How do we build up that courage to tell the truth to our mother, you know, or to that other person saying, is this person hitting you? Right. I think the first thing to do is to first acknowledge that you are in a hostile or unhealthy relationship, but you're not the only one who experiences it. At that point, I felt like I was by myself. No one would understand, and I was going to be the person getting blamed for being stupid, for being in this type of relationship. But that's not how people look at us. And I think if we continue to reach out to victims to let them know you're not alone, you're not the only one who's gone through this situation and that there is a way out. But the first thing you have to do is to admit and acknowledge that you are in this, this abusive relationship so people can hurt, can help you and, and stop excusing the behavior of these uh, abusive men or women. Then, once you acknowledge that, then you can get the help that you need. Yeah, yeah. Times is a little bit different now, so that's good. Having victims be able to admit to themselves that you know that they're not alone and that it is a problem, you know, yeah. um, yeah. is a good way to start. The other thing I want to ask you before we move into your bro- to your boldness really quickly is um the depression piece. Mm-hmm. You fell into depression after relationship was over, correct? Yes. Okay. Was part of your depression due to the fact that the wedding was over, I'm alone, is anybody going to love me again? Was that part of your depression at all? Yes, because even though I was in a relationship, I was continuing to blame myself for the way that the, the relationship went. I was still blaming myself because I was supposed to be married. And the day that the wedding was supposed to take place was the the worst day that could have happened for me because I was like, oh, my God, right now I'm supposed to be walking down the aisle. I'm supposed to be getting married. And I'm looking at my child again, you know, because this isn't her biological father. So I'm feeling like a failure that I couldn't keep my family together. And, you know, I was beating myself up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of victims – feel that same pressure, and, and it's a very normal thing to feel. Would you say that it's normal for something like this, Dana, you know, somebody who's expecting to be married, and, you know, is it normal to feel these these type of feelings? It's very normal to have those feelings. Okay, okay, good. Thank you so much. Um, well. Take us into your boldness, Dana. Tell us where you are today. You know, how did you finally break that cycle of domestic violence for you and your daughter? Well, the first thing I needed to do was I needed to be strong that I did not return to that relationship because he did try to, you know, get me back, and I had to fight the urge of not returning. And I can really I thank God for my mom because my mom stuck with me through it all, and she really connected me to a, a person um, who she was a minister and she facilitated purity and celibacy um, uh, groups. And when I connected with this lady, it was as if she was rebuilding me at that point, letting me know that God loves me and to teaching me how to esteem myself for God. And it was no longer about being a man pleaser, 
but being a God pleaser. And I, at that point, my I knew that my deliverance would come through my obedience to God. And, you know, after doing things my way for so long, I knew that I needed to surrender to God, and I had to forgive him. So my breakthrough not only came from me leaving the relationship, but I had to let go of bitterness. I had to let go of anger. I had to let go of resentment, everything that was holding me down, because it was as if I was still in the relationship because he had a control over my mind and I was no longer with him. So when I, I let go of all of that and I forgave him, uh, and rest in peace, he, he passed away probably a couple of years after all of this took place. And I thank God because I forgave him before he he passed away. And I was able to start a singles ministry at my church in um, 2008, and we began um, our first purity workshop, celibacy ceremonies, because I wanted other women to, to learn how to love themselves first. So in November 2014, I published, I self-published my first book, Because You Loves Me, and that's to help men and women know where they can find true love from, right in the arms of God. And I know that love is beautiful, but you have to be willing to wait on God. You have to know your self-worth first and not just rush in the first relationship with where a man or a woman is saying, I love you. You have to learn what the true meaning of love is, and you're not going to learn that until you learn how to love yourself first. And April of this year, I launched um, Project Heart uh, on Facebook, and that's to um, Heart stands for healing, empowering, affirming, restoring, and transforming, because I know there are so many people who are in the same situation that I was in a couple of years ago. And I want them to know that you do, you do not have to stay in that place, that you can recover it, recover from it, and you can be delivered from it. So I, I just want to continue to reach out to victims of, of domestic violence, those who are hurting and hurt, holding on to bitterness, and just, you know, ask them to just let it go. And, you know, hopefully um, I, um, hopefully one day I'll be able to open up a transitional home for battered women. Uh, but I did re- obtain my LLC for Project Heart on the first of this month, and I'm just looking forward to, to where this, this business is going. And it's not just about money, but I just, you know, honestly and genuinely want to help those who are hurting to help All them right. move forward. All right. Thank you, Dana. I think we feel your passion. Coming through the line, I think we feel your passion coming through the line. I have a question for you, a specific yes. question. How did you get out of the depression piece? Was that when your mom, you know, directed you to this wonderful sister? Yes, yes. She really helped me um, build my self-esteem back up. And, okay. you know, just watching the other people that was in the program with her, you know, just be able to surrender and let go. It's all about letting go and not carrying all that extra weight with you throughout the years. All right, very good. Thank you so much, Dana Watson. Now, how can we, how can, you know, people go on and get the book and kind of check you out a little bit more? Yes, uh, you can find my book, Because She Loves Me, on Amazon.com, um, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, I'm in the city of Norfolk, Virginia. It is um, uh, also at Heaven and Earth in Janus Shopping Center. Um, and you can also email me, www. Uh, dot, I'm sorry, Mrs. Watson, Mrs. Watson, MRS. 
W-A-T-S-O-N-757 at gmail.com. Um, and also, as I stated, um, look out for Project Heart uh, services to be expanded. Uh, I'm looking forward to going um, into the prison this month uh, to just um, refer and help people uh, to services that they need. All right. Thank you so much, Daniel. We are very proud of you. Keep up the good work and everything that you're doing in Norfolk, Virginia, and helping victims that are there and abroad. Thank you so much for chiming in with us tonight. Okay, you heard it live and kicking it from Dana that, you know, it wasn't easy. As a preacher's child, you are in birth. You 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 know Queen is a preacher's child. <laughs> My dad is a preacher. Okay, so, and I'm in these relationships just like Dana. And I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated with my black eyes. I didn't want my dad to see me like that, but he did. You know, and I couldn't tell them, lying to my mother and telling them all kinds of stories that wasn't right. So I understand where she was saying the humiliation comes from, you know, within yourself. You don't want to, you know, feel that way and you don't want to admit that it's happened, you know, but it, it, it happened. The preacher's children too, and it happens to police children. It happens to 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 judges children. It happens because abuse don't have no profile. It does not have a profile. It can look at you. Remember now, as the abuser, we can target our victim in a matter of matter of. I say, if you give me thirty minutes. Give me 30 minutes of your time. I sit you down. You give me 30 minutes of your time. I'm going to prompt you to tell me everything pretty much about yourself. I'm not really going to speak about what I do. You know, I'll tell you a little something, a little something, a little something to get you to talk more about what you're going through, right? You give me 30 minutes, I could potentially have a victim that could last me maybe six months or better. See? So... What Queen likes to do is give you the education, you know, the warning signs, the education on the abuser side so we can start putting two two and two together and begin to end domestic violence as a whole, all right? So we chopping up victims and getting them educated. We chopping up abusers and getting them educated. Chances are we can all end domestic violence together. Okay, so we definitely appreciate Dana's story and everything that she shared here tonight with us. Um, it's not, again, it's not an easy thing to do, but we applaud her in doing the work that she's doing. We felt her passion, and certainly we want to be supportive of her. So definitely look out there and, and, and get your copy up. Because he loves me, okay, you could possibly do some group work with your ministries and things of that sort, do discussion about the book. That's going to be good because we open up that dialogue for our teen boys and girls to uh, begin to talk about domestic violence and ask questions and become educated and aware of the warning signs uh, of an abusive personality and or relationship, okay? So as we move forward, definitely friend request me at Q-U-E-E-N-A-F-I, all one word, Queen of Thieves. Friend request me on Facebook. Come on now. Be my friend. Let's 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 continue this movement together because domestic violence resident tech organization, we're pretty unique out here for what we're fighting for as it pertains to domestic violence, you know. So if you want to join the fight with us, 
and, and, and be educated from both sides, from the victim side and the abuser side, take that back to your community, to your household, we can end domestic violence for sure together. Uh, so definitely from requesting you there. Also, if you are in an abusive relationship and you want to get some help, or if you are the abusing, you want to get some help, you can definitely reach out to Queen at 202-821-8933. You can call me directly, and, you know, I'll try to help you as best as I can. Also, you can call, of course, the National Hotline for Domestic Violence, 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. Now, unfortunately, I got to be real because y'all know that's what I do. That hotline does not work for men that are victims. A lot of times with that hotline, it directs men that are victims to baddest programs, to men that, to the abusers program, okay? So men that are on the call, and if you're a victim, maybe going through some domestic violence situation, you can call me directly, 202-821-8933, and I have a place for you, okay? So uh, keep that keep that in your back pocket for for the men that are out there experiencing domestic violence. Okay. And guess what? You know what? We keep a fabulous show. The Brokenness Bonus Show is coming back with some men this month. We have men that are coming back on the show with us again that are victims of domestic violence uh, that are going to share their story. We booked all the way up, y'all. God is so good. We booked all the way up till January 2016. We don't have any more surprise, you know. And it's good because the survival story is yet again. What we need is another entity to help end domestic violence. So I definitely appreciate you all in chiming in and sending me your stories and wanting to share with us uh, and, you know, helping promote the show and things of that sort. For other people can say, Queen, I want to share my story like my sister Dana did. She wanted to share her story. All right? So we're moving forward into our next guest, Ashley Strange. And this sister, I met her, both of us did a girls' uh, town hall at Howard University. And I heard her story and just, you know, was in, oh, you know, Queen love people's stories. I go around and scout the stories out and invite them to come on the show and all of that good stuff. And I invited my sister Ashley to come on and share her story with us. Um, and so she's going to do that tonight. Ashley Strange is a native of Washington D.C. She attended public. She attended the public school system in D.C. Ashley was forced at a young age to grow up due to the lack of emotional support from school. From school she attended in D.C. There were times she felt alone. She felt no one wanted to help. Ashley was placed in special education classes with other students that had all kinds of problems, such as behavioral and mental problems, which this is good. Ashley's story taps into some emotional abuse. Her, after her mother died, she gave up completely on school and became a product of the foster care system. Ashley is in her junior year at Trinity Washington University, uh, foster care wasn't always great. In fact, she thinks it needs major improvement, and we're going to hear from her tonight about why she believes. And that's actually where I want to start with Ashley because I'm curious to find out, you know, why does it need major improvement? 
and she may not only be talking about DC foster care system, but she could this this could trend all the way to other parts of the world where our foster care system can use some of this advocacy to make things a lot better. Ashley, are you with me? Yes. Okay, peace and love. Thank you for chiming in tonight. This is a little different because we're not in front of an audience, but we still have an audience with us tonight, and we're all excited about hearing your story. Um, Take us back to um, your stay at the foster care system when mom died, when you gave up. What gave you the right, Ashley, to give up? Well, I was being passed from grade to grade with no I, – I, I basically wasn't learning anything in the classes I was put in. I, like, I, like you mentioned before, I was facing special ed classes with students who had problems, and I couldn't focus because, you know, when you have other uh, children who have problems, they're screaming, uh, fussing at teachers, or just acting out, and there wasn't a lot of learning going on in the classes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but go back a little bit more. Mom passed, right? Yeah. Um, go back she a little passed bit more. When I, Okay. I entered the um, foster care system at age 15 along with my two brothers after the death of my mother, and I entered foster care because I had no other family members that I could trust to live with because of the sexual abuse I experienced when I was younger. Um, but before entering foster care, I wasn't attending school. I had, and I had dropped out in the 10th grade because I felt that I wasn't getting help from the school system. My math skills were at the fifth grade level, and I was placing, like I said, special ed classes. And I basically sat in a special class for two years, ninth and tenth grade, and I didn't learn. I didn't do a single math problem while in that class. And so basically, I entered the foster care system with a GPA of 1.5, and graduate graduating from high school seemed impossible. So that's why I decided to basically quit school, and I also quit school to take care of my family mainly my mother, I had to give her insulin shots, check her her blood pressure and blood sugar, and escort her to doctor's appointments. And after she died, I was put in charge of everything, such as cooking, cleaning, grocery shopping, washing the clothes, and paying the rent. I quit school to do all of this, and it was so stressful that I attempted suicide many times. I was depressed and lonely, and... Basically, school school was nowhere to be found on my agenda because of all the other things I had to do. And uh, one day I received a call from my school, and the next day I paid them a visit. When I got there, a social worker from CFSA, Child and Family Services Agency, was waiting for me, and I was taken into care. Um, my grades were so low that the school considered dropping me down two grades, which would have placed me back in the eighth grade. And with that stress, I attempted suicide again. I just I just wanted to give up at that point. Wow. I'm 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 listening to your story and just wow. 
So you attempted suicide how many times, Ashley, altogether? Um, once before my mother died, uh, after she died, and then um, after I entered foster care. So three times. Right, right. Um, and you were how old again, Ashley? Fifteen. You was fifteen. Okay. And the sexual molestation took place at how old? Uh, either eight or nine. Okay. And what you're doing, you're helping us. You're helping us. You're helping us here tonight on the Brokenness and Bowling Show because we have a lot of little people and teens that are in your predicament right now. The other thing I want to ask is um, at 15, you took on the role of your brother. You had two brothers. Yeah. You had two brothers, right? Yeah. Okay, and what were their ages? Um, well, my twin brother, he was also 15, and had a younger brother who was 14 at the time. Okay. And um, so you, you tried to, did you try to get a job, Ashley? Did you try to work? Because I know you said you quit school. Um, well, I basically couldn't get a job. What I did, uh, my, since I was in charge of paying for different things, I had my mother's um debit card, and I used what was left on there to pay for what I could until it was all over, until it was all, uh, till it ran out. And then we basically didn't have any money after that. I had to borrow money from neighbors or get food from the neighbors just to survive. Mm-hmm. And you know something else, Ashley, that stuck out to me was that you said that you had no family members to go back to due to the sexual molestation. And this is the first time I'm ever hearing that because a lot of times children get sent back to their home where the molestation is still taking place. What 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 do you think made your case differently? Um I think what made it different is that I was persistent in what I wanted. I made it clear that I didn't really tell them why I did not want to go back to other uh, family members, but I made it clear that there's something wrong. I don't want to go back. So they just, I guess they they decided to um, just move me along into care. Okay. And your brothers also went into care? Yeah. Okay. Now, as we we move forward and... Your grade point average is a one. What you say, Ashley? It's a one what? It was a 1.5. A 1.5. Now, we have a lot of children who grade point averages are 1.5, Ashley. What Hmm. what should we be looking into? What what, what should we be doing as community advocates, as school teachers, as clergy staff? What should we be doing for a child that we feel like or that we know have a grade point average that low? I mean, should we go behind the scenes? I mean, should we pull this child to the side and really figure out what could be happening? How should we approach it, Ashley? Help us out here. I believe that a major evaluation needs to happen in the D.C. school system. I feel that, yes, there should be someone going undercover to actually see how the teachers are teaching the class, if they are teaching the class, 
and to basically see how the teachers talk to the students and treat the students because there's something wrong with the school system, clearly, that, that my, my, I feel that my grade point average should not have been that low, and if someone was working with me, it could have been higher. Okay. Okay, so if you would have been getting, like, what you think, maybe some one-on-one services or what you think would have helped you get your grade point average? Because, now, mind you, do you think that the grade point average could have been linked back to the sexual molestation, the household, and the things that were taking place there? I do feel like it was linked to that. Um, late, a little later on, I was going to get into um, actually how I, I brought it up. But it, it was linked to a lot of stress and basically me not going to school every day. Okay, okay. All right, so we need to be we need to really be on the lookout for our students that are missing days. Um, what seeming like kind of to themselves or maybe demonstrating some aggressive behavior. Do we need to to tap into that child on some personal stuff? Ashley, would you suggest that for us? Yes, I would suggest that. Okay, okay, great. You have you have helped this out tremendously. For and I know that the DMV and we have other callers from everywhere else feel blessed by you as, as well as Dana. But the foster care system now, now you're in the foster care system. Okay. So what, what do we what do we do, Dana? I mean, you're in the foster care system. How do we how do we help you at this point? Well, for me, it took one teacher to basically turn me around and to basically just help me out, spend a little time after school, um, even off her off the clock when she wasn't even getting paid for it. So I think if we have more teachers in the school like that, um, students will I believe students will become better and be able to strive in school. Wow. We're trying to hold back the kids here. We're trying to hold back the kids here because your story is just so touching for us because we're battling with this situation in the school systems right now. It has not ended. And although we're going to get into your boldness, Ashley, we still have children that are experiencing the same thing that you are experiencing. So having that one teacher that's really, you know, um, not judgmental or and or not um, aggressive, or but that teacher that can just encourage you and kind of you know tap into some other places and spaces with with that particular student. In your case, that worked for you. You think that that can work for other students that may be going through this very same thing that you're experiencing? Yes, I I do think it could work. It will work. It will work. Okay, it will work. Okay, good. Um, now, Ashley, they put you in special ed class. I mean, for what? You were sexually molested. You you dropped out of school due to your family background. What gives them the right to just shove you in, in special ed classes with children that have behavioral issues and mental health problems? Where was your mindset at, at then? Was it Still attempts of suicide, depression? Um, it was depression because I felt like I I really felt dumb. Like I felt like 
I didn't know anything, and it's not like the teachers were working with me to help me. So it's like I'm I'm just going to school every day to waste time. So I felt, well, if I'm not in school here sitting in the class doing nothing, I could be at home doing something that counts instead of being in the classroom doing nothing. Wow. And actually, how long? Wow, I'm just, I'm just at who? And I know, I know our other brothers and sisters out there got to be at because it, it, it's cases out there like yours that we're working with right now. Good God from Grapevine. Um, all right, so I want to ask another question, and then we can go into your your boldness and where you're standing at today. And of course, you have a beautiful um, poem for us that you're going to read, resource tonight. But um, ask me, tell us what to do out here that are missing. I mean, tell us students who is experiencing some sexual abuse or maybe um, some verbal abuse or a lot of emotional damage. Encourage us right now, Ash. We need some encouragement from you. I would say don't give up because, you know, giving up is like, when you give up, you lose out on a lot of opportunities. And because I didn't give up, I was able to open doors to new opportunities that I never would have thought I could have access to. So I would definitely say don't give up because it's worth fighting for. Wow, thank you so much. Bless your heart for that. Now tell us, Ashley, your boldness. What are you doing now and you know, how did you finally, you know, you said you didn't give up. How did you finally get into Trinity Washington University? Because you know, you know that a child with your background is not slated to go to a university such as Trinity. Yes. Um, so basically, like I mentioned earlier, after, uh, after I attempted suicide for the last time, I met with my 10th grade geometry teacher, who became like a mentor to me. She would stay with me after school to talk to me. She talked to my foster parents, and together they set up tutoring for me. She would tutor me in all forms of math and not just geometry. And like I said earlier, she wasn't even being paid for this. We would sit at my school, which at the time was Dunbar, from 3.15, which school ended to 7 or later, and on the weekends, I would have tutors come to my foster parents' house to build up my basic math skills. And with tutoring and other resources provided by my teacher and the foster care system, I was able to go back to school, and I went to school every day. And I was able to graduate uh, at the time from I was going to uh, I graduated from Washington Math and Science Technology, and. Uh, I'm basically, right now, I'm entering my senior year at Kennedy. Yeah, I figured that had changed. Yeah, <laughs> and I was able to, so my thing is that I was able to pass pre-algebra and finite algebra and statistics with A's and B's in my first and second year of college. And I, I feel like that's a problem because I was doing so horribly. I was doing I was doing so bad in high school. And I was like it took me to get to college to do so to do great and then this past semester I 
was awarded Dean's List uh, Award for um, a GPA of 3.6. So I feel like that's definitely a serious problem with the school system because I shouldn't have had to enter foster care and enter college in order to do so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you think that college, I mean, well, not college, but do you think, like you said, with the resources that were, were provided for you through the foster care system, as well as your willpower to not give up, play any part into where you're at right now? I mean, a significant part? Yes, it played a, it played a major part because, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't just give up. Like, I pushed. Right. I, I decided it was a point I came to. I decided that, you know, okay, I didn't want to be a statistic. I, I wanted to do something with my life. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to help other people. Okay. And you definitely are doing that here tonight. You are definitely doing that tonight. We are so proud. Uh, what you have now, a 3.6? A 3.6 Dean's List at Washington, Trinity Washington University, which is right here in Washington, D.C. Um, Ashley, tell us, um, what's your major? Communication in English. Okay, communications in English. We are so excited for you. Oh, my goodness, your story is the story of hope. We are so blessed. So we know that what we need to do as teachers, as community leaders, as clergy, that we have to encourage those students that, like in Ashley's case, that could have been faced with some sexual um, molestation and, and just decided that they wanted to give up on themselves. We have to be those encouragers to push them to say, hey, what's going on with you? You know, you can be great. And this is what happened to Ashley. Ashley, go ahead and um, read your poem, and I'm going to let you go. Okay. My teacher says our homework is on page page 62, but we have no books to take home. So what am I to do? Resource tonight. Today our homework is in the computer. I'm sorry. I'm tearing up. Okay, you can start over if you need to, sis. Start over. You gave us a lot of good energy here tonight, so it's okay to have those emotions. We are right there with you. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. Just take your time because we need that poem that you did. Okay. My teacher says our homework is on page 62 but we have no books to take home, so what am I to do? Resource denied. Our classwork is on the computer, and we have to have it done by one, but there's only three computers per 25 students. How can I get work done? Resource denied. I'm having problems with math. There's no tutors, and teachers aren't available after 345. 
If I fail, I'm afraid other students will laugh. Resource denied. Today I had a meeting with my mother, teachers, and principal. The principal says to me, you don't turn in homework, you don't complete class assignments, and you're failing math. What do you have to say? I looked at my mother, then at my teachers, then turned to my principal, and I simply replied, resource denied. Is that the end? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Ashley. We appreciate you. We appreciate your story. We are so proud of you. Keep up the good work. Um, and if anybody out there, of course, you you're what you you had your own blog, right, Ashley? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you give out your blog information? Is it something short that we can give out for um the talk show? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's Ashley Strange, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-R-A-N-G-E dot me, which is M-E. Okay. All right, thank you so much, Ashley. We appreciate you, girl. We love you. Keep up the good work. We just adore your story here on the Brokenness and Boldness talk show. Keep up the good work, and if there's anything, you know, if there's anything that your sister, Queen of Feet, can do, you reach out and you let me know, and I'll be right there with you, okay? Okay. Okay, amen. Yeah, so did Ashley help us all? Did Dana help us all? These sisters have put forth a great effort to help us, and I'm over here trying to hold back the tears. One of my sisters on Facebook, she's trying to hold back the tears. And I'm sure many of you have been texting, maybe trying to hold back the tears. Because the energy that this talk show brings to us is real. These stories are real. And we love our survivors for stepping forth and giving us what we need to become better people, to become better advocates, to become better uh, teachers and preachers and, you know, become uh, better at the empathy that we need to show to our teen community, okay? Our teen community needs a lot of empathy right now. They need a lot of love. They need a lot of encouragement. And they also do need uh, the discipline that we can provide them in ways that it will help them grow. Um, certainly we have, um, there's a statistic out that says 3 million children witness domestic violence every year. That's a lot of children that's witnessing domestic violence, which tells me as a domestic violence educator and a mental health professional that some of those are going to be victims, some of those are going to be abused. Now, with stories like Dana and Ashley, people, we got to get smart here. We got to get creative. We got we to, and, and what I've learned here tonight, and I think what you have learned as well is that the empathy is needed. Because Ashley said that, and Dana said her church family loved her out. And Ashley stated that um, her teachers, foster care, and the teachers at school, that one teacher, you know, 
got together and got her the resources that they need and the love that she needs to come on up out of this and do well. And then not to mention Trinity is just a fabulous university to attend. So we are just, I want to thank everybody that chimed in tonight. Again, if you're not my friend on Facebook, become my friend at Q-U-E-E-N-A-F-I, all one word, because next month we have we still have fabulous shows. Next month we have a 13-year-old um, who's going to come on and share her story about being bullied, and we also have um, a sister that's going to come on and talk about the domestic violence that she experienced as a child. You know, that childhood domestic violence, I'm starting to bring that out a, a lot more with the childhood domestic violence and seeing how some of these adults have turned out due to the abuse that they seen in their household, okay? And I think we need to go there because that all that is is helping us understand more the significance of the survivor story. All that is helping us understand that ways that we can begin to break the break the cycle of domestic violence, okay, and come come together collectively as a family. Domestic violence women's organization, we are a family. We love each other. We love victims and abusers through this struggle. We want to get them educated. Okay? We want to get them educated. And I'm not talking about getting victims beds and locking up the keys and throwing away abuse. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about changing the mindset of a victim, changing the mindset of an abuser, reprogramming their angelella and helping them see what abuse really is, helping them see that it wears many pads, not just physical abuse, okay? So, again, if, if it's you or somebody that you know that may be going through a domestic violence situation, situation Definitely, you can reach out to Queen of V at 202-821-8933. Everything that I do is in confidence, okay? And then, of course, you have the national hotline for domestic violence, which is 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. I want you to do me a favor and tell somebody that domestic violence wears many tags. And I want you to go in peace and love, my brothers and sisters. Go in peace. And love. Thank you for chiming in tonight.